You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What was it like playing for Billy and just how crazy was the Yankee clubhouse? Billy was a great manager, but he was very volatile. I mean, fisticuffs with your own players. I come from San Diego. Couldn't believe it. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is first ballot Hall of Famer and special assistant to the Major League Baseball Players Association, Dave Winfield. Presented by GEICO. Setting aside his 465 career home runs and 3,110 hits, the most amazing stat concerning this 12-time Major League All-Star is that he was drafted out of the University of Minnesota by the San Diego Padres, Atlanta Hawks, Utah Stars of the old ABA, as well as the Minnesota Vikings, even though he didn't play football. What I'd really like to know is why my beloved New York Rangers never drafted today's guest. And it's my pleasure to welcome Hall of Famer Dave Winfield. Dave, welcome to Game Time. Hey, Boomer. Good to see you. Thanks. Um, It's a pleasure to be on talking to you guys. All right. So you grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Did you ever play hockey? No, but I did skate a lot. I lived a half a block from the uh, recreation center, and they, when, when the weather was such, they would just put water out there. It would freeze, and we'd be out there for weeks at a time. It doesn't work that way anymore, but I did <laughs> skate my whole life. When you were dra- drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, you, know, you could have played with Dominique Wilkins, could have been playing against Magic and Bird and Michael and all that other stuff. Was there ever any thought of actually trying to go and do that? Not really. Baseball, at 12 years old, they'd ask me, what do you want to do? Play professional baseball. Pow, they slap you in the head. You don't know what you want to do. It's like, dude. And so I always knew, my brother and I, we always wanted to play professional baseball. And uh, basketball was a, a distant second. I mean, a kid nowadays would grow up and think basketball first. And if you grew up down south somewhere, in Georgia, Mississippi, Texas, or something, they football first. Mm-hmm. But baseball was what I wanted to play, and so everything was a distant second. You know, it's interesting listening to you talk and knowing about you and knowing your history. You're always really very measured, very, very well thought out. I know you're very well read. And then I read in your bio that you got into this huge fight at Minnesota versus Ohio State in a basketball game. So mm-hmm. take me back to what happened, and why did you decide to get involved in something like that? The two teams were going vying for the, you know, the, the big dog in the league. And Bill Musselman, it was his first time out. One of the three things he wanted, win the Big Ten, beat Ohio State, <laughs> and uh, lead the nation in defense. We actually uh, accomplished two out of three, but that's a lot of things broke out on the court. You, hey, Boomer, you've been on the football field. Emotions run high, both yeah. sides. And it's just that Ohio State uh, started something and they got the worst of the deal at the time. 
<laughs> I like I like the confidence about every, that. You know, speaking of heated confrontations, as you pointed out, you worked in the front office of the San Diego Padres. Now you are an assistant to Tony Clark, the head of the Players Union. You know, we just come through this pandemic season. It was a crazy thing. I, I think Major League Baseball actually handled itself overall pretty well. But there's going to be a contentious CBA coming up. Uh, how do you see this whole playing out? Yeah, it, it could be because these are unprecedented times. Uh, no one expected a pandemic. General businesses, the world, the whole country never expected this. I didn't even attend one professional sports event all year, baseball included. I mean, spring training was cut short. You didn't attend any games. Uh, no professional basketball, no collegiate sports. So it's unprecedented. Fans, people didn't know if fans could attend. They're still looking at it like, is it an intelligent thing to do? I think it'll work out. Um, it, it Look, you know that uh, management and labor, there's always going to be a rub one yeah. way or another. One way or another, they'll get through it. Baseball has always been a stalwart, a leader when it comes to labor. I, I suspect it'll be the same thing. And um, both sides will try to move the sport forward. Welcome back to Game Time, where we are joined by legendary outfielder Dave Winfield, who was a seven-time Gold Glove Award winner. With his cannon arm, Winfield threw out many a runner on the base paths. But his most famous peg was a warm-up toss back in 1983 that unfortunately accidentally killed a seagull in Toronto. Manager Billy Martin snarked that day. That's the first time this year he has hit the cutoff man. What was it like playing for Billy and just how crazy was the Yankee clubhouse? Billy Martin, it's it's almost like a, um, it was like a soap opera. Billy was a great manager. I, I liked him, but he was very volatile. You know, if he went out at night with the coaches and stayed yeah. a little long, you might read about it in the newspaper the next day. If you were a, great, a good player, he let you play. If you were a dog, he had a big dog house. And, you know, the things you'd read about, you know, I mean, fisticuffs with your own players on the, on the, on the team and, I said, whoa, man, look, I come from San Diego. It's quiet, laid back, and you come to New York. Look at this, man. I couldn't believe it. But uh, he, he was always all right with uh, me because, you know, you know how to play the game. He didn't have to babysit you or prod you along the way. He, guys like me or Ricky or Mattingly or whatever, go out and play, guys. So he, he was a unique individual, and unfortunately, he, he passed on too soon as well. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I know that we're going to get into George Steinbrenner a little bit later in this interview, but in that particular incident, he did have your back, and he said you were one of the most caring players he had ever seen, and, and that's true. And I would imagine that probably made you feel good in light of what Billy Martin said. Yeah, no, he, he was kidding about it. He, he was kidding about it. That was a crazy year for you guys. That also was the year that included the Pine Tar game. And, you know, I have interviewed George yes. Brett about the Pine Tar game and how his reaction was. I'm just wondering, like, when you're sitting there and you're watching this thing unfold, like, what are you thinking? Are, are, are we out of our minds that we're actually going to try to take this home run away from this great player in the middle of this type of game? Two things about it. I had hit a home run earlier to put us ahead. I said, oh, we're going to get, we got Goose coming in. He'll shut him down. And George Brett was one of those, you know, once in a lifetime hitters. And he just tomahawked Goose's pitch in the upper deck. But the thing was, before the game, Billy Martin, once again, they had discussed if George Brett does something where that affects the outcome of the game, we're going to challenge his bat. So that was already on the, and then he did it. 
he hit the home run and that's why Billy ran out there. Look where the pine tire is. And so it, it was thought about ahead of time. And, you know, once you know someone's doing something that could be deemed illegal, just wait until they do something illegal and then bust them. And that's what wow. happened. On December 15th, 1980, New York Yankees owner George Steinbrenner signed Dave Winfield to a 10-year, $23.3 million contract. The San Diego Slugger was coming to Yankee Stadium as the highest paid player in the game. And what seemed like a match made in heaven instead turned into a decade of pure hell between the owner and his superstar outfielder, Dave Winfield. And Dave, I, you know, hopefully I captured that correctly. Uh, when you first got to New York and you first were dealing with George Steinbrenner, I'm thinking you probably got off to a good start. Uh, I, I don't know if it, you could call it ever a good start, other than he, he liked me a great deal. Um, he, he pursued me. He, he said kind, very kind things publicly. He said that everything I do with the community is is more than charitable. It's it's personal. He said that that is this guy. We're glad to have him. But 10 years, it was tough. Never a pat on the back, never supportive statement, just a lot of things. And even at the end, the, the trade, which which was unwarranted and illegal, I went in the trade because I got a multi-year contract on the other side after yeah. 10 years. But, you know, it was, uh, it was difficult. One day I'll probably talk about, write about, you know, these kind of things included. But my overall career, Boomer, just like yours, you, you did some great things after uh, your injury and, and later in your career. And um, it was that way for me. The best third of my career was after I left New York. I mean, I was comeback player of the year, 3,000 hits, a Hall of Fame career, World Series championship, and, and just enjoy coming to work. And uh, people don't even know all those things, but our careers, the very few fairy tale careers. Uh, Derek Jeter had the closest to one that I know. <laughs> Tom Brady's probably in your sport closest, but it's yeah, may, may, maybe Michael Jordan. I think Michael Jordan probably had yes. a pretty good career too. And and LeBron is, by the way, LeBron's doing pretty good for himself as well. But you know, the interesting thing, you know, George Steinbrenner said a lot of things about a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. and one of the things he said that I think probably bothered Yankee fans and probably bothered people in your life was that he let Mr. October go and sign Mr. May. I mean, that that just like is the, like an ultimate insult. And, you know, if, if an owner would have ever said anything like that about the way that I played or the way that he perceived that I was playing, man, I would be angry. I would be really angry. Well, listen, and first so people know, it wasn't after uh, we didn't have success in the World Series in 81. He was just popping off in like 84, 85, you know, we hadn't been to a World Series or anything like that. It's not cool. It's not good. It's not uh, when you're trying to build a team in unity. And I was the guy on his team, too. It, it, you know, as far as leadership, you know, somebody can put up numbers, but they're not the leader, you know. And, I mean, when it comes down to it, I'm a play rep. If the team got together, black, white, Latino, they come with my, my house, my, you know, it's nobody else. So yeah. why are you messing with the leader of your team? And so you know, I endured all that for many years. Like I said, no support, no backing. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, dig up any special dirt right now. But it was difficult for 10 years. And when I left, it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it was. You know, and, and the thing is, you said bringing up dirt or looking for dirt. And that's exactly what Howie Spiro was asked to do uh, on behalf of George oh, Steinbrenner looking into your background. I'm like, 
What, what, what were they looking for? What could they be looking for? I mean, like, here you are. You're the highest paid player in the league. You got a crazy manager. You got an owner that's just popping off in the media who likes the back page. And all you're trying to do is try to play baseball. I mean, what, what in the world are they looking for? Yeah, and always a, a leading player in the league, an all-star every year, doing the stuff in the community that they wish other players would do on time. You know, not a clubhouse lawyer, don't do drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's just everybody's style. They want to be in control. They want to have power and uh, they want to be considered the man. Dave Winfield once noted, everybody faces obstacles. And I look to people who had been through many to succeed in life. Abraham Lincoln, born to a poor family, faced defeat through most of his life. Lost eight elections, failed two businesses, had a nervous breakdown, and still became president. Winfield overcame his own obstacles, and he was elected to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot in 2001. Dave, you and I have been talking off camera about the year 2020. The amount of people that have died in our sports, uh, the significant friends that we have had that we have lost during this time. We've got the pandemic going on. We have the social justice issues going on. And in your own hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota, you know, you could see what's happening there in Minneapolis. Uh, and, and I'm just wondering how that's affected you from where you sit. Well, it's a great question. And again, we, we have so little time to talk about it, but so people know what's in my head, in my mind. Growing up in St. Paul, Minnesota in the 50s and 60s, I, I saw the last civil rights movement. It's just civil rights, you know, and that's in the, in the 60s. Uh, I saw the takeover uh, in our, at our University of Minnesota uh, a sit-in so that they could have black studies. And they were one of the first universities to have black studies as a department, not just a professor, not just a class, but a studies department. And we saw that by marching and protesting, you could achieve your goals, you know, uh, you know, uh, w without violence or anything like that. And you were going to face pushback. So I've seen, I've been to the last civil rights movement. I see what's going on this time. I will just say they need to continue to uh, march, bring to light what's going on, agitate if necessary, because though only a squeaky wheel can get some oil if you don't say anything, because it's unfair. There's so many things that remain unfair. And I don't have to get into details. It's not a red state, blue state. It's not Republican, Democrat. Uh, it's not just the president or, or anything like that. So I'm not trying to, uh, but it's just a fact. There are a lot of injustices and inequalities that have to be brought to light and we have to try to make America more even. I'm gonna say, I gotta say this, you know, that if in fact America is inclusive, we're gonna be competitive on the world stage. We'll have peace at home. And the pie that people are worried about, the money, it will be bigger, a bigger pie, and people could uh, share in it. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And on the second half of your question, so many of my friends in the sport and in life have passed on this year, some from COVID, some from age, some from infirmities, guys like Joe Morgan, guys like Tom Seaver. We talked about it all, you know, offline. And... Um, just so many, it, it hits me every other week. You're losing people. So my relationships with people are very important. And it's important to just kind of speak up what's on your mind as well. Yeah, you know, Dave, uh, making it to the Hall of Fame in the first ballot, giving your Hall of Fame speech and sitting there amongst your peers and realizing that you've really reached it to the pinnacle through all that you've been through. 
when you do lose people like a Joe Morgan or a Tom Seaver or somebody like that, it's a reminder that, you know, this is a great life that you've lived because of baseball. Yes. Yeah, no, definitely. But we, I understand that I've been uh, exceptional uh, in terms of the success and opportunity because I never envisioned all the things that I'd be able to accomplish, you know, meet presidents, travel the world, make money, build a reputation, get an education, all that, you know, on and on. But it's not like that for everybody. It's not fair. It's not equal. It's not, it's, it, there's an imbalance. And so I hope that uh, America learns how to uh, get balance and be more inclusive and, and make some changes. One of the joys of being a professional athlete is the ability not to just to be a role model, but to be able to give back to the community. Listen to me when I tell you this. Dave Winfield was the first active player ever to set up a charitable foundation that met IRS guidelines. Starting in his rookie year of 1973, he left blocks of tickets for fans and then brought health care clinics into the stadium. And Dave, I just personally want to say thank you because, you know, I've modeled some of the things that I've done off the field off of what you did well before I ever even got involved in professional sports. And I think that's got to be your lasting legacy. All the things that you've done for so many people that didn't have the same opportunities that we've been talking about today that you had. Yeah, thank, thanks, Boomer. I appreciate bringing that up. And I know that cystic fibrosis has meant so much to you, you know, with your son and Gunner, and and uh, you've always given back to the community. And, and um, I always did that too. I think I was, not I think, I know that I gave back, not only because other people helped me uh, accomplish a lot of great things. I knew I was standing on their shoulders. I knew that things weren't equal in our society. And I always looked for those who did not have. And I would always try to give them a leg up. I have a scholarship in Minnesota called the Winfield Awards for Minority Student Athletes. We're going in our 44th year. Even the mayor of St. Paul today, Melvin Carter, won our award at one point. So I was always trying to give back and influence and give guidance for those who didn't have what I had. So I was a pioneer. People used to say, what are you doing? Why? What is the tax write-off? No, no, it, it was in me. And um, I led the way and a lot of people, I remember helping Martina Navratilova do her thing. Harold Reynolds, who was on MLB. He, he saw me when I played with his brother. But all these kids go in the stadium. All, so, so many things. I'm so happy that I did it. And yes, I hope that's part of my legacy. Not just I had 465 home runs or whatever. It's the you know what? back. Though those are numbers and they reflect you as a baseball player, but you as a human being is what's the most important thing. The other thing I read, and tell me if this is true. Did you offer free tickets to the 1978 All-Star Game? Oh, yeah. The, the open practice was my idea. The, the, there was no such thing as a, uh, what do you call it, the all-star, you know, All-star weekend. weekend, yeah, yeah, like the home run all hitting contest no, and all that exist. stuff, yeah. My first one was in 77 in New York, and I came to San Diego. My second one, people said, how could I go to the game? How could I beat the people? I said, let me scratch my head. I said, this is what we'll do. So we had a big old party in San Diego. The guy signed autographs. Even the commissioner came. And I asked the party, will you open up the stadium, let the people watch? Now, today, you know. They're not going to do anything like that. There's money in this. We're giving up money, you know. But but they opened the gates, let probably eight to ten thousand people. After we gave them ice cream and music and autographs in Mission Valley, they went to the stadium, and then they watched us practice. 
And then it kept getting big. Next year, they baseball took it over. Hmm, let's, uh, mm. let's charge $5 for people to come and then watch these practices early. But before that, heretofore, it never happened. That, and who knew what was going to happen? That's 22, 40 plus years later. Look you know, Dave, now. what that is? You know what that is, Dave? That is what I call a legacy, and a legacy that will live on forever. And our thanks to Dave Winfield for joining us today. What an awesome storyteller. And to all of you out there for watching, I'm Boomer Esiason. I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Hall of Famer George Brett. We've both been done TV. I did Fox and I did um, ESPN. Yep. We're both authors. You won the Walter Payton Award yep. for Man of the Year. I won yeah, a Roberto Clemente. Yes, yes.